never, 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 never take football for granted. Here we go again, another podcast. And the new season is almost upon us. The uh, curtain raiser, as it's called, Community Shield, starts this weekend with Manchester City and Arsenal. But before we come on to that, I'd like to talk about Manchester United's takeover, or failed takeover at the moment. And with me to discuss that, I've got Gary, Ryan and Matt. Um, How are you, gents? All good? Good, good. Yeah, very well. Yeah, yeah, all good, bud. Matt, I'll come to you as you're a United fan. Nothing's really happened so far. Obviously, we've, we know that there's two confirmed bidders, and I'll let you discuss those guys a little bit further in a moment. The United fans have wanted the Glazers out for a number of years. There's, there's reports of massive debts within the club and, and how the Glazers operate Manchester United as a vehicle, I suppose. The club's estimated to be worth roughly £6 billion, and obviously there's, there's two bids in for that. The fans want them out. Is the grass always greener, I suppose? Because from the outside, they're still buying players. That's proven in the current market with Onana and, and Hoyland as well. Is it the bigger picture, mate, that the club just needs different owners? Are you happy to have the Glaziers or would you like a change? No, I, I think it's time now. It has been time, in fairness, for a few years. You're right. In terms of debt, I think when the Glaziers took over, we, we had zero debt. Then they, they took the, the club private and then eventually relisted again. And now we're in about £450 million worth of debt. You're right. We, we haven't exactly lacked in our spending and buying players. It, it does seem that every season there's a new kind of marquee signing and we're spending, you know, 70, 80 million per season on at least one player. Um, so our signings, I don't think, would actually be incredibly different if one of the prospective buyers came in, so Jim Radcliffe or Sheikh Jassim, I think what the Glazers are doing is they're relying a little bit on the the Man United name. So, you know, the, there's, there's kind of not enough upgrades to the Carrington training grounds. The, the, the stadium is in a bit of a mess, to be honest. And that we, we've needed upgrades to our stadium for at least kind of 15 years. But the Glazers don't want to kind of put money into that. But one thing I will say for the Glazers is since they took over, we have kind of pioneered quite a lot in terms of in terms of kind of sponsorship and the commercialization of football. You look at like our training ground is known as Carrington, but actually it's known as the Aon Training Complex. So we have got sponsorship for every single aspect of football. I think, you know, we've got an official tyre sponsor, an official beer sponsor, an official toothbrush sponsor. And, the, and United and the Glazers actually pioneered a lot of that globally because United already had this global reach. Um, so I think they've done that pretty well. The difference is, is that they've siphoned off quite a bit of money that could have gone to the, the likes of the, the stadium, the training grounds. In, instead of, you know, they've, they've just taken the money out of the club, which if you get a new owner like Jim Radcliffe, more likely shaped your scene, those things, you're going to see them happen, plus we'll carry on buying the players. Ryan, you have some thoughts on this. I don't know, what, what do you think? Yeah, like from, from an outsider looking in, it, it is, it, it's one of those, I, I think there's a stat, some, you're pretty close in terms of over the last 10 years, you spent similar money to Man City. In terms of your transfers, I saw over the last week you, you've, you've secured Adidas for another ten-year deal worth in the region, I think, around nine hundred million. 
like substantial amounts of money. I know people who are in or around the club, and yeah, it, it's not like for, for me when you were growing up, like Old Trafford was you get gets called the theatre of dreams. It was the sort of stand up ground in in the Premiership, and it's no longer that. If Gary Neville's coming out and saying that the ground's subpar and it's not being selected for the Euros bid, you know something's wrong. So money must be being siphoned out of the club, going into the Glazers' pockets, which is probably a reason why they don't want to sell because I can't understand why they wouldn't take a five, six billion pound bid when you're going to make substantial amounts of money on the club. It is a rock and a hard place. You can be taken over and the grass may may seem greener. If I look at Villa and and use them as as an example, we got relegated under Lerner. We had a Chinese guy come in. Everything was really exciting. He was using Twitter as a platform to to provide almost like little riddles of who we were going to sign. Everyone was buying into it, but it wasn't sustainable. And if it, it, the year we got beat by Fulham in the playoff final, he literally bet Villa's future on us going up and clearly we lost. We were a few days away from going into administration and who knows where we'd be had you know had the had our current owners not stepped in so it's definitely good and good and bad you know christian you've been bought over guys you guys haven't i'd be interested to sort of understand what what you think as well as an outsider Tottenham seem to have the money you know our guys have the money there just don't seem to want to spend it so or when we do spend it, we seem to spend it in obviously improved in the stadium is fantastic now, one of the best training facilities, probably if not <laughs> if not the world, it's ridiculous. Um but literally uh, I'd rather go in the team. So I think um, some fans be careful what you wish for at Man United, they keep they spend every year, they strengthen every year, they go and buy people like Casemiro for huge money and um and obviously that new lad they just bought up front. Um you know, they, they chuck in money around. I think fans would rather see it go to the players and a nice, fancy new ground. Is it not, though, Gaz, that you have to move with the times? So, you know, Ryan Villa Park, I, you know, I've been lucky enough to play at Villa Park, you know, once in a, in a tournament um, and had access to all the dressing rooms and whatever else. But, you know, it's, it's a historic old stadium in the Premier League. Gaz, Yes, Tottenham, it pains me to say I've got the greatest stadium probably in the world, or one of at the moment. Is it not, you say it has to go into the players, but the club has to move with the times now, I suppose. like The whole lot has to move up. So Manchester United being Manchester United, arguably in the top three biggest clubs in the world. Yes, they can have a great team, but they corporately have to also be you know, a star as well. And and that stadium's not. You know, Ronaldo talked about the fact that when he was there the second time, the training ground's not really been updated in 15 years. You listen to other conversations, podcasts and whatever else. People talk about how good the training grounds are, even at clubs like Brentford, for example, who have taken it up to another level with sports science and, and different things like that. I think that the Glazers, if they're going to stay at Manchester United, have to invest in that stadium, the Theatre of Dreams, and also Carrington as well. Otherwise, they will fall behind. They won't be able to attract the level of player to take them to the to the top. Ryan, I can see you nodding. You know, as I said, you you've got now the old one of the oldest stadiums in the Premier League. 
do you think that at some point in the near future, Villa are going to have to look at what they do with Villa Park? Yeah, well, the wheels are already in motion with that for Villa Park. So we're 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 uh, going to be knocking down and redeveloping the North Stand, which for anyone who doesn't know is the stand opposite the Holt End. So there's huge work being done around that. It'll increase the the uh, capacity by, I think, 10,000, get it to around 50, 55. There will also be a complete overhaul of the restructure around the, around the ground, the transportation, doing, uh, I think it's Whitton Lane Station, I think they're looking at doing, or a new street station. It's, it's one of them that they're going to get council approval for. The car parking, like it's all, it's all in the works. And if I look at that from, you're right, Chris, you know, I, I do see Villa Park as a, as a historical ground. If Villa are able to do that, Liverpool have recently done it with a couple of, I think with the Anfield Road end with um, one of their other stands as well. Why are Man United so far behind? You know, what's the, re- what's the reason for it when there's, you're generating so much money? Yes, I agree, guys. You know, you want to see it reinvested in the team. If I'm being honest, they're probably, and you might disagree, Matt, I don't think you're any closer to winning the league now than you were under Mourinho or I know you won it in Fergie's last season. How he ever won that league with that team is still beyond me, but I don't think you're any closer with the amount of money that you're spending. You spent 200 million on three players so far this summer. Like, there's investment there, but at what point do you take it away from the squad? And you look at facilities, training ground, your actual ground, infrastructure, the match experience, whatever it might be. Yeah, I, I think the the trouble is the Glaziers, they've never, I don't think, been in this for the, for the long haul, for the betterment of the club. And that's fine. You know, they're business people and it's not always about the betterment of the club. I don't think now they will invest anything in the stadium or anything in the training complex or anything in that infrastructure around it the, the return on investment, they're just not going to get it. If they're looking to sell in two in, in one year or two or five years, the amount that they're going to have to plough in or saddle the club with more debt to actually you know, build these things, then they're just not going to do it. So we're not going to see it whilst the Glazers are here. And my prediction is it's going to be shaped a seam that, that ends up taking over. It's not until he comes in that we will see those things put in play. Well, why don't you think they sell now? Because surely the longer the stadium deteriorates, the further behind the training complex gets, the more investment is going to be needed from a potential buyer. So why don't they sell now whilst there is there are two bids on the table and it's such a, a substantial amount of money? <laughs> to be honest, I really, I really don't know. I don't think they can make up their mind whether they want to completely get rid of their, their interest in the club or whether they want to re- retain a kind of a stake in the club. But... I honestly have no idea why they're not selling now. It seems to me to be the ideal time to sell. Or the only the only thing that I can think is that they are they are considering the fact that Ten Hag is actually on a bit of a run with Man United. He's going the right direction, shall we say, and they want to see how it goes this season. If we win a trophy, obviously it just increases the value. So that's the only reason I think they're holding on. For now, it's all about return on investment. They want, they don't want to have their investment out there too long, and I think they want to quickly flip it quite quickly. So I think if they can just build the Man United brand back up to sort of the level it was at, as in, from a football perspective, 
I think that will naturally give them the you know the six seven million billion whatever it is to, to buy them out rather than chucking two or three billion in the stadium and training facilities and they're just not going to see that return on investment. So I think the next guys will do that. I think it's worth noting as well that the two bids that are currently on the table are also very different bids. It's thought that with Jim Radcliffe, it's sort of a majority ownership, but roughly around 60-70%, which would still offer the Glazers an opportunity to remain within Manchester United or certainly another investor. I don't think Jim Radcliffe can actually... I know he's very wealthy from Ineos and he's got other sporting teams and cycling teams and whatever else, but the level of investment I think required within Manchester United as a brand, I don't think Jim Radcliffe can actually do on his own to, to elevate Manchester United back to the top of the table. Whereas Sheikh Jassim is coming from, you know, an unbelievable amount of wealth, Qatari royal family wealth, and I think could probably do it a lot quicker. Although we have seen with the likes of Newcastle, yes, they've gone from fourth, fifth bottom in the league to top four now. And we'll talk about some other clubs in a moment, but financial fair play will also play its part in Manchester United being able to compete and win a title, maybe not as quick as what it's been done in the past. They've got to get to that level. Once they're at the the football playing level, that's when I think they will sort of sell. I just don't see them selling now. Man United are seen right now as a a top five, six team, whereas Man United were the king dingalings. They were number one. They weren't number two, number three, number four. They were the best, without shadow of a doubt, for a long, long period of time. And they've got to get to that level with what they currently have structurally, because it's not an overhaul at United. I think that they're for the next guys. I think Radcliffe and them guys, they're going to be doing that, you know, the, the long-term project then. I think these guys are just uh, flipping it. You're saying about flipping it. They're no, they're, for me, they're nowhere near they're no closer now. So I, 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 think, I, think, I think, Matt, you would agree. I'm not trying to wind you up like I tried to wind Gaz up last week. But I think genuinely, when we're talking about... Man United are still generating one of the highest revenues in the world. Even taking away the success on the pitch, their success off the pitch, I would actually say is unrivaled. Not particular, I'm not really a fan of Man United, but what they do commercially, I don't think Real Madrid or anybody stands up to that level. On the pitch, they're not going to win the league in the next two, three years. So you're saying about getting up to the level. Where's the level? I don't think winning an FA Cup or a League Cup is going to be enough. They're not going to win the Premier League or the Champions League for me. Probably in, I'd say, at least two years, no matter how well Ten Hag does. He might finish second, third this season, have a decent run in the Champions League. But then, you know, taking that next step up, if City are going to rebuild, Liverpool are going to rebuild, Arsenal are going to continue to invest. You know, like Chelsea, Spurs, Villa, Newcastle, Brighton, all these clubs competing. I think I actually think now is the the prime time. You know, they've got they've got a bit of a morale about them. Ten Hag's built a good sort of a feel good factor about the club again. So that you know there haven't been two bids before. There have this summer. They bought the club for what nine million, nine hundred million or a billion. I th- yeah, I mean, look, just just bring that oil money. I think that's um, we want the oil money instead of the chemical money. Essentially, I think Jasim will will put more money into the club and do it immediately as well. I think I've said this before about Saudi, and I'll say the same thing about Qatar. It's an endless pit or oil well of money that they have, and they will find ways, like Man City have done, to to get around kind of financial fair play. So I'm all for breaking the rules. 
Okay, so there are other clubs. There's there's definitely um, been some successes. I just briefly touched on Newcastle there, but we'll leave Newcastle for a moment. Um, there's others. Um, Rye, we talked about the likes of clubs that have lost or nearly lost stadiums, nearly gone into liquidation. You touched on Villa under Lerner, um, you know, where it didn't happen. Clubs with maybe poor plans at boardroom level or, or gambling on maybe getting into Europe. Um, the one I can think of through my childhood is Leeds United, um, which was not foreign owners back in those days. That was under Peter Risdale. Um, I remember Leeds. It was a very sorry state. And, and you don't have to be like Leeds or whatever else, but they're a historical club within within the English game. And that last season when they, they were losing 8 and 9 nil to teams because... They're putting out junior teams because they can't play pay wages. Um, when the administrators went in, they find that you know there's fish tanks in you know Ellen Road that are costing five grand a week for for maintenance. For these big supposedly well-oiled machines, there has been Ryan a lot of clubs that have nearly gone out of business and certainly further down the football pyramid. Yeah, for, for sure. Like you've mentioned. You mentioned Leeds, there was Derby, where I think their grounds went under so many different rebrandings of names. That they, you know, but teams getting points deductions, like I can't stand them, but Birmingham City, you know, they, they've, they've, had a, they've had a couple of poor owners back to back where they've had points deductions. Um, pretty sure that there'll be, there'll be more. The Coventry, I think we spoke about Coventry as well. They lost what was the Rico Arena. I've got no idea what that's called nowadays. I still don't think they own it. I think there was one point they were playing. There was one point. I, I thought Mike Ashley had something to do with it now. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's got something to do with that. I, I don't know if it's through Wasps. I think Wasps play there um, in rug, rugby union team. So I think I think they've got some form of deal. But like they, they were playing at, uh, I think they were playing at Northampton's ground, they might have been. They were definitely playing at St Andrews. They were both playing, but them and Birmingham were playing there at one point. So for every. You know, clearly, when we look at the positives, the two standouts I think everybody has to recognise is Chelsea and Man City. You know, I might get a bit of stick for this, but we're talking about two clubs who I wouldn't say have the greatest history. But when people look back now, 30, 40, 50 years, they'll be like, they, they become dynasties or it, the eras of the 2000s, the 2010s, going into this decade, completely transformed them. But for those... For those clubs, there's, I reckon there's probably five or ten for each of those that have went wrong. So it it sometimes can be the better the devil they know. And I think there do need to be more stringent tests or background checks into who's actually taken over your club. Because it sounds great, but it doesn't necessarily necessarily come out how you want it to. That's a great point. And, and I think it's really important that the fit and proper test is becomes more rigorous, especially as it looks to be that more people are looking or more individuals or more companies are looking to pump millions and millions of pounds into the Premier League in the next five to ten years. Already, you know, there's a huge amount of money going in. That's only going to grow. There are plenty of clubs that have been uh, poorly mistreated. The fans, um, I don't think it's taken into account by any owners what it means to the fans. And we definitely saw fans vote with their feet when the Super League was announced. And I think, Rai, you're, without being an idiot here, you were the only club 
of the group of us that wasn't in the supposed Super League. So he definitely had it from an outside perspective, but become like a, a you know a small boys club at the end of the day. But we saw fans up and down the grounds, you know, come out even for clubs like Arsenal. You know, there was massive hundred thousand fans at the Emirates. You know, protesting because they don't want to be in it. You look at the likes of games on a Saturday at the likes of Villa Park. Those fans that weren't even in the Super League then, you know, lambasting other clubs that maybe be playing at Villa Park because they were going to go in the Super League. Owners really are becoming more focused on the return when, in effect, it, it, yeah, it's not about football anymore, and that's a really dangerous game for Premier League clubs. Problem is, they don't have that local connection to the clubs uh, I, 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 I was trying to rack my brains about even lower league clubs you've had the likes of Berry that went out of complete existence because they're being run in the wrong way so this isn't necessarily a foreign owner you had it with Newcastle and the Mike Ashley so it, it, it is really about you know a fit and proper te- uh, fit and proper test are they fit to run the club do they actually have any form of interest in building a connection and I'm using my own club as an example the Villa owners have tried to do that a lot like they've looked at the local community and the fact that there's a lot of Indian sort of heritage around the club they've looked at re, you know broadening the Villa name in India for example just to try they, they, they're switched on and I think that's part of the problem with new owners coming in you look at Chelsea's and without being a Chelsea fan what link has he got to Chelsea except going out there and spending crazy amounts of money to be liked the one that comes to the top of my head that has done it really well, and maybe maybe it's been a bit tougher, they got relegated at the end of last season, is Leicester City. Obviously, they, they won the league. Sadly, their owner passed away in a helicopter crash just outside the stadium. But there was a real connection there between the Leicester City community and, and the owners. I think it goes by the name, of, obviously, of Top at Leicester. But, you know, whether it was, you know, beers for all the fans on home days or a free pie or... The, the regeneration that they've done in the community. And I know, Gaz, with Tottenham, the stadium rebuild isn't just a fact of knocking down the old White Hart Lane and rebuilding that toilet bowl of a stadium. You know, it's about developing the community around it. I know it's the same at the Emirates Stadium as well. If you look around there, the apartments and different things that have been built, shops, it's about developing that community. Gaz, you know, do you... You talked earlier around you want to see money into the into the Spurs squad. You're less bothered about a flashy stadium or a or a training ground. I think they go hand in hand with bringing in better players. Spurs this week have been linked with potentially you know hip hop hero Jay Z taking over at Tottenham. Does Jay Z have what it takes to then come in and run a club? That you know in the states, David Beckham's gone over to to. America and now is a part owner of you know Miami or into Miami. So yeah, is Jay Z the right move to take Tottenham to the next level? I don't know. Why not? Why not? I think it's not. It's we're certainly he isn't going to be obviously the man making all the decisions, is he? He's just kind of like a face, and obviously he's got a huge management team around that they all have. So uh, even better. But yeah, I'm all for. I'm all for that. I'm all for that for sure. There's two teams in the UK in the last sort of 12, 24 months that have had contrasting um, foreign owners, I suppose. Wrexham, and and there's a couple of great documentaries on them, you know, have got new owners, obviously very famous owners, and 
they're now propelling Wrexham up the league. There's investment. There's real community in Wrexham. But then to flip that, go to Chelsea and Todd Bowley since Abramovich has been bought out. Um, you know, Chelsea are a mess structurally. Like, forget how, how, how they buy their players on seven or eight years contracts. But, you know, the key board members within Chelsea, I think, have now all but left. The, the advisors below them, the likes of, you know, Petr Cech, who's a Chelsea legend and whatever else, gone. Um, the director of football came in midway through last season. It's announced he's gone before the start of, of this season. Like, do these foreign owners necessarily care about the club? You know, or it's no, we'll just sack that one, we'll employ another one. We'll just sack that one, we'll employ another one. And, and it does have a knock-on effect and it it's detrimental to, to a club. I don't care if Chelsea go out of business that doesn't bother me you know but it just seems that there is that lack of fit and proper test how they're even going to run a football club forget the finances how are they actually going to run the club what do you guys think about the the german model like the bundesliga model of having the it's called the 50 plus one rule where essentially 50 percent of the, the ownership is by the fans but they also have that extra one vote so a deciding vote on on what happens within the club there's exceptions. So Wolfsburg is, you know, owned by Volkswagen and, and RB Leipzig is, is just a mess. But other than that, do you think that would work in the Premier League or is it just, is the beast too big now to implement any sort of rule like that? I don't know, Ryan, what do you reckon? Yeah, I, I think I think we've outgrown that, to be honest. Like where, I think if we look at the 51 or the 50 plus one, where's all the money coming coming from, from that fan base? to be able to sustain the outgoings of Premier League clubs at the moment, I think we've passed that. And I don't know what impact that has on the German League's competitiveness. Like, I, buy, I know it sounds daft, but are Bayern Munich fans wealthier than, than, the rest of the, than the rest of the country because they win the league year in, year out. So I don't really understand how the... I get it from like the, the ticket prices point of view. It's fantastic. But from signing players, like what... I would love Villa to sign all the best players in the world. Commercially, it's not really viable. So I think when we take our fan hat off, I don't know how that model would work in the Premier League. I've got a point on that then quickly, Matt. So I would say I'm with Ryan on that. And I don't think it would work in the Premier League. But do you know what I would like so far? For example, Arsenal have the Arsenal Supporters Trust. I think that there should be a fan representative on every board of every club in the country. You know, having one board member is going to do nothing. When, you, when you've got the, the rest of the board is, is, you know, commercially minded, let's say, having one board member that's just there for the fans is, is sim- symbolic, I would say, and nothing more. So whilst it's a nice idea to have it, unless that one fan sat on the board has more votes, has 25% of the votes, then it just doesn't, it doesn't work. It, it just won't matter you know, sitting on the board with a casting vote. I know that they're not financially invested in it, but I think it is a way of protecting the clubs or trying to protect the clubs at a community level. They're not clubs anymore. They're companies, simple as that. And uh, the club element has has, has been, you know, has passed, has passed. Yeah, yeah, no, that that that's fair enough. Look, you know, the romantic side of football is to have a, you know, a fan from every club on, on a board and hope for the best. Well, 
we really are on the, I suppose, the, the eve of the Premier League now. Pre-season's pretty much over. Clubs have been all around the world promoting their companies, as, as Gaz talked about in the last topic. And that leads me to the Community Shield. Historically, always the first game of the season. It, it, it normally sees the winner of the Premier League against the winner of the FA Cup. Um, obviously, last season, Manchester City, much to Matt's unhappiness, completed a treble, which was better than Sir Alex Ferguson's in 1999. So Arsenal step in as the second place Premier League team to face Manchester City this Sunday at Wembley. Um, they've got rid of extra time, I think, in the last couple of seasons. So if there's no result after 90 minutes, it goes straight to penalties. That's way more exciting than, than extra time and penalties. Um Gaz, I'll come to you first because you support a club who's just won the Tiger Cup and has now got a trophy finally in their cabinet. Can you tell me, does the Community Shield matter as silverware, and does it does it put down a marker for the rest of the you know for the rest of the season? You know, why doesn't it matter? It is a trophy. It is one of the four trophies. No, it's not a trophy. Community Shield is not a trophy. It's a pure. Uh, charity uh, match and a glorified friendly. It's not a trophy for sure. If you if you include in the uh, community shield as a trophy, there's something seriously wrong. I mean, the Tiger Cup is just a bit of a joke. Uh, uh, obviously, abroad, you know, Singapore and all that, they'll they'll give a trophy for anything. But uh, no, um, Tottenham looked ecstatic, mate, with how they won that trophy. There was Richarlison, I've never seen him smile so much. No, I think I think the way you're looking at it, bud, is completely different. But uh, I know you're having a little bit of a banter, but it's not going to bite this one, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, no, Richie was. I think Richie was quite happy, but everyone else thought he was a little bit cringy. But uh, it was quite funny to start with. But uh, go back to the community trophy, uh, the community shield. Um, I think it's going to. It's always nice to start the season because it just means that you know the season's just around the corner. Um, my views on the game. Um, if we're going to go up ahead with views on the game, I think um, uh, I think City are going to be very different this year. Um, City were renowned last year of being quite an, a you know obviously very attacking. They had so much front forward power, um, and there was always but there was always seemed to be gettable at the back, a bit leaky at the defence. You always thought they could potentially get something out of it that way, but I think it kind of completely flipped now. I, I think City, I think City are going to be. Uh, are going to be weaker up top this year. I mean, Gundogan's gone. I mean, you're taking you're taking a lot of power out of that team, and, and I think they need somebody else that's going to fit that gap. And who is going to, who's it going to be? I think Arsenal, uh, you know, done great with Rice. I think that's sort of steadied the ship in there. I don't think Havertz is going to do much good. I think he's useless. But I do see uh, it being um, a good game actually. Uh, but I'm going to go for one-one. And I think it's going to go to Pens. So uh, I'll go for City on Pens. Yeah, I think uh, look, I think it's it's a it's kind of a waste of time. It's a bit like the opening ceremonies at the Olympics. Some people watch it, some don't. Some care about it, some don't. I don't particularly care about it. It's a nice enough game. It's good for younger fans maybe to head to Wembley and and see these teams play and. They get to see a lot more players because you know they've they've got quite a few subs that they can use. It's it's not competitive. Uh, I agree with Gaz. I think it's going to go to penalties, and I reckon Arsenal are going to win it as well. So that's my prediction on this. Yeah, I'm not. I agree with the other two. I'm not sure how much you can really look into it. If I remember rightly, Liverpool won last year. Nunez looked unbelievable. 
Haaland's from memory missed a bit of a sitter and look how the se- their, their respective seasons played out. So it's always difficult to tell. I don't think, I think players don't want to get injured either. So it's, it's one of those, it, it, it's nice to, because it sort of does kickstart the, the Premier League season. You know, it's the following week, but I don't think it matters a great deal to the clubs. Um, I'm probably going to make your day. I actually think Arsenal will win. Uh, I, I think City still probably got a bit of fine tuning. I don't think they've played a massive amount of pre-season friendlies. So I think Arsenal might be slightly ahead of them right now. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm probably I'm actually thinking they're Arsenal 2-1. I'll give you my opinion. And two of you have not won a trophy in a long time. So... Um... I say, Gaz, Gaz, Tottenham definitely haven't won a trophy in a long time before excluding the Tiger Cup. I think it's important. I think it's important. Arsenal are playing. I don't want to lose to Manchester City on Sunday. I don't want to start the season with a loss. Um, I think it's important that Arsenal win that game and put a marker down against City. We lost both times to them last season. Um, Played its part in costing us the league, although other results ultimately cost us the league title. Um, I think it's important as a club that we try and win that game, regardless if, if people think it's a glorified friendly or unimportant. I, I, I understand where you're coming from, from a trophy point of view. I don't necessarily care too much about the Shield, but again, I'd rather have it in our trophy cabinet than theirs. Um, but I, I certainly see it as a marker and I definitely want to put it down and win that game. Um, I think it will be a draw. Penalties, I'll say Arsenal, but I think it will be a draw. Gaz, you, you talked about Manchester City at the start and Arsenal you know, in depth. City, this season, haven't really signed anyone at all. And they've definitely gone on with their you know, losing players um, that they seem to do every year after they've won a major trophy, whether it's, you know, Fernandinho, Vincent Company, David Silva, Sergio Aguero. They lose a big couple of players after every time they win the league and this summer's been no difference with the experience of, of Gundogan and Mares leaving the club. There's still, there's still talk of Kyle Walker going to Bayern Munich as well. That would be another massive hole for the City and yes, they do look like they're trying to push through a deal for, you know, for Garvidal out at Leipzig and I don't know if that, they need him or if that's the position that necessarily needs replacing but they are trying to strengthen but City have been very quiet. Um, Arsenal, Without being biased, yes, look, I'm really pleased that Clem Rice has come in. Um, I think he's going to be an upgrade on Granite Shaka, although Shaka had a great season last season. He will be an upgrade. I, I differ to you on the Havertz thing, Gaz, and, and the, the only reason I differ on that is that Arteta doesn't accept mediocre. So the likes of Ozil, the likes of Aubameyang, the likes of Lacazette, all pushed out the door, taken out of the team, removed from training with the first team. And if Havertz doesn't prove his worth, I think Arteta is ruthless enough to take him straight out of the team. And I, I think we'll see a different Havertz. He's bagged a couple of goals in preseason. Yes, he was crap in the, the, the FIFA 24 challenges about scoring from six yards and whatever. He's going to play in a new role now through that midfield. Um, and Arteta will demand that not only does he go forward, but he also gets back. So, you know, it's a big season for Arteta as well because Arsenal, you know, we've won the FA Cup under him. There's been progress, but the club have also, 
you know, the Cronkies have backed Arteta now in the transfer market consistently with big money. And if we don't push City to who I think will, you know, win the league, and we'll discuss that next week, but push City very close for a title, maybe win an FA Cup and try and go into the depths of, you know, the deeper stages of the Champions League, I could see Arteta leaving at the end of the season. Coming back to Havertz, where is he going to play? I think depending on the opposition, Arsenal will either play Rice, Partey and Odegaard as a three. Um, with it depend, like if we're playing one of the bigger sides, uh, you know, or a tricky fixture away from home with, with Rice and Partey holding, giving Odegaard the freedom to roam forward. Or against the lesser sides, you'll have Declan Rice that will hold and you'll allow Odegaard and Havertz to link with Martinelli, Saka and Jesus. The problem Arsenal have is they still don't really have a, a number nine. And I, I'd like to see them try and play Balogun. But I, look, I think Havertz will score goals. I'm going to say he's going to get eight to ten Premier League goals this season. As a 10, so more of a 10, you reckon, yeah? Yeah, I think we'll have two 10s in certain games now. Um, I hope that doesn't stop Smith Rowe coming through. He's obviously had some really bad injuries. Linked with Villa in the past as well um, for 40, 45 million. You dodged a bullet there, Ryan, um, with the injuries that Smith Rowe's had. But I'd like to see him, him stay. But look, probably a draw over 90 minutes. Arsenal to sneak it on pens. Um, I'll be very happy and it puts a marker down for, for the start of the season. One of my favourite parts of the week, well, it was earlier in the season when we were signing more players, a little bit quiet. Um, one thing that is going on at Arsenal and I don't really understand it is that Arsenal have been linked with or have supposedly agreed terms with David Raya, the Brentford goalkeeper, who's told the club that he wants to leave. He's valued at 40 million, 27 years old. It seems that Arsenal are willing to pay that money for a number two because it's already been confirmed that Ramsdale will start in goal for Arsenal next year. Really strange signing, um, if that does happen. Why you'd want a £40 million player on the bench unless Arteta has other ideas with the different, um, you know, the Champions League and whatever else. I think it would be unfair on Ramsdale for him to lose his position. Um, I'll get some comments around that one in a minute, maybe from, from you, Ryan. Um, you've had our previous number two, who's now your number one at Villa. Um, we touched on Josko Garvidal, City trying to complete the signing of the Croatian centre-half from RB Leipzig prior to the game against Arsenal on Sunday. Um, Man City looking at Jeremy Doku, um, the 21-year-old as a replacement for Riyad Mahrez, and he's a Belgium international. Um, they've also been linked with uh, Michael Elise, the 21-year-old at Crystal Palace. Roy Hodgson's come out to say it'd be very difficult if either City or Chelsea do make a formal offer to keep hold of him. Be tough on Palace after losing Zaha, um, but obviously the money would allow him to reinvest somewhere around 40, 45 million for him. Um, we won't go into depth on Harry Kane, but, but Spurs and um, Munich met yesterday it's now believed that um, both parties are confident in, in agreeing a deal and Kane will have to leave before the start of the season if he's going to be. Spurs are sticking by the 100 million. We believe the next bid's at around 85 million. Um, Matt, I'll come to you in a second on Rasmus Hoyland, um, the, the signing that Manchester United are going to make as their new number nine that they've been crying out for. Um, 20 years old, played for Atalanta last year, being pictured at Carrington, mate. Um, 
72 million for a player that scores nine goals. There seems like only one winner in this, and, and that's not Manchester United. Is it because it sounds like Haaland down the road, and as such, he must be worth a lot of money? Are you pleased with this one coming in? Yeah, if it sounds like Haaland, looks a bit like Haaland's, then it's got to be Haaland, but it's uh, it's not. I mean, look, 32 games he played for Atalanta last season, 12 of those were coming off the bench, scored nine goals, got one assist. When you compare that to Martial last season, 21 games, six goals, two assists, it's crazy that we're paying 72 million for the guy. You look back at when we signed Rooney. I know he was only 16 or 17 at the time, but, you know, for inflation adjusted, it's, it's about 51 million. And he's got, I think, you know, Rooney had way more potential than 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 Hoyland. We are taking a bit of a punt, I think, and quite an expensive punt on this guy. Whether it works or not, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not I'm not convinced. Um, you know, however many goals. What did um, what did Harlan get last season? About fifty goals, I think. We will be lucky if Hoyland gets to eighteen goals this season. We'll be lucky, but he is only twenty. So I don't know. I'm very, I'm very on the fence about this guy because I don't want to slag us off too much. But it's a lot of money for a twenty year old that's not exactly proven himself, and especially hasn't proven himself in the Premier League. Should have paid the hundred million and bought Kane. That would have solved a lot of your problems. Um, Chelsea still trying to get a holding midfielder. Um, now linked with Leeds and USA international Tyler Adams, um, Edson Alvarez over in Ajax, and Caicedo, um, who's been linked with Chelsea all summer, still not happened. Um, Brighton standing firm, wanting Declan Rice sort of money for, for Caicedo. Um, Liverpool are turning their attentions to other targets. Can't seem to agree a deal for Southampton and Belgian midfielder Romeo um, Lavia or Romeo Lavia. Um, what else have we got? Johnny Evans looks set to stay at Manchester United, um, get a one-year deal for a 35-year-old. He'll collect his pension as well. Um, Ryan Aston Villa spent some decent money and bought some really good players in the window. I'd assume as a as a Villa fan, you're really happy with the business that Emery's done. Um, do you reckon you've got a spare 40 million in the in the bank for Brennan Johnson, who had a really good season with Forrest, also being linked with Brentford and uh, and Tottenham as well. We, we've got the money. I don't know if we need that player, if I'm being perfectly honest. Like for me, uh, Emery's come out and said, we don't need a, a second keeper. We're, we're crying out for that. Robin Olsen is not a, a suitable backup goalkeeper. He is... He gives all four of us hope of still making it as a goalkeeper from how shaky he is when I see him play. Um, so I'd be, I'd be surprised if we spend that sort of money on on a striker. I think that's where he plays. We definitely don't need another sort of winger. I think a 22-year-old as a forward plays for Wales already, although that's not hard to get into that team. Um, I think he should stay at Forest for another season. The, the big clubs will, will come around. It's a bit like Morgan Gibbs-White there. I think he's due for a top six club eventually. Um Bernardo Silva is also pushing to leave Manchester City. I mean, I don't think they can afford to lose too many more key players. Um, he really wants that move to Barcelona. That he's always linked with them. Um, Man City, uh, sorry, West Ham, they can't seem to spend any of the Declan Rice money. They, they've pulled out of talks for James Ward-Prowse. Um, 
being overvalued at near 50 million. I, I don't see James Ward Prowse worth 50 million. Um, they're also struggling to complete a deal for um, Manchester City wonder kid Carlos Borges. Um, 14 million. Ajax have come knocking for him. I, I think he will probably end up there now. Um, potentially one leaving West Ham um, is Mikel Antonio, not to Saudi Arabia, but to Everton, interested in signing the 33-year-old, um, especially with the issues that they have with Calvert-Lewin being injured every other week. That's definitely a Sean Dyche type of um, signing. One for you, Gaz. Um, Galatasaray are pushing to complete an £11 million deal for uh, Tottenham sensation and France midfielder Tangi Undombele, who was out on loan last season. Uh, he was brilliant in FIFA 21 and 22. I always used to sign him, but um, really hasn't done too much at Tottenham. Came in on big money. Um, finally could be heading out the door there, mate. Um, what else have we got? Oh, the other one I will say is we, we talked briefly about, or we talked in, you know, in depth about Mbappe. Obviously, your 3-1 vote came out in favour of me. Um, Mbappe is not going to Saudi Arabia. Um, I was very happy when I, I saw that. Um, and as such, could be going to Chelsea. Um, it's been confirmed that Todd Bowley has reached out to Paris Saint-Germain and PSG are expecting a bid for Mbappe from Chelsea. That will lead on to a topic we're going to discuss next week, which is financial fair play. Um, if Chelsea do complete an Mbappe signing, and I hear it will not be on loan, it will potentially be cash plus players, it begs the biggest question is, how the hell are Chelsea doing financial fair play? Right, as pre-season pod is coming to an end, this is going to be the final facts and trivia section before we replace it with something that's going to be amazing, but we'll wait for, for next week for that. So this week, guys, I've got two pieces of trivia and then I've got two facts that I'm going to ask as questions for you guys. So the first two pieces of trivia, I think, are, uh, are just one of the first one is odds, right? So in the 2010 and 2011 season of the Premier League, the most common first names were David and James. Yeah, ironically, this was the first Premier League season where David James didn't play anymore. Secondly, Gaz, this is one for you. Tottenham, the team where dreams go to die. <laughs> Gareth Bale's first trophyless season after leaving Tottenham was when he rejoined Tottenham. I thought, <laughs> I thought that was quite interesting. Okay, first question. Which two Premier League players have scored penalties with both their left foot and their right foot. Gaz, I'm going to come to you first. Any any ideas? Tough one, but um, I think I'm going to go for uh, Ginola. Nope. Nope. Okay. Um, what about Cantona? Good guess, but, but incorrect. Ryan, what do you reckon? Thierry Henry. Nope. Van Nistelrooy. Nope. Another good guess. Christian? Um, Jorginho. Nope. Ronaldo. No. Do you want a clue? Yeah, please. Love a clue. Okay. So the first one, he played for Newcastle, Nigerian international, known for doing flips and somersaults. Ryan played, played for your rival for a little while and most recently played in, in Wuhan just before the, the outbreak. 
It wasn't his fault. Obafemi Martins. Obafemi Martins. Correct. Absolutely. That's it. So that's, that's one of them. So you said some results. Yeah. Obafemi Martins. Okay. And the other one, um, Gazi played for, for Spurs for a, for a brief while. He's Did also he? played. Yeah, played for Spurs, played for Brighton, West Ham, Fulham, QPR, and his brother is a copper. Ah, um, oh, what's his name? Um, oh, Bobby Zamora. Bobby Zamora, correct. There we go. And look, we've got we've got one more. We've got one more for the the, the last quiz question of the preseason pod. So. This player holds the the record for scoring in the most amount of competitions in one season. So he scored in seven different competitions. The Premier League, Champions League, UEFA Super Cup, Europa League, Community Shield, FA Cup and Carabao Cup. I think I got it. You got it? Yeah. Who is it? It's a well-known one up here. Is it Steve Finnan? Wrong. Incorrect. Oh, I'm pretty sure Steve Finnan hasn't scored seven goals in his career. Never mind scored seven in one season. <laughs> seven different competitions. What's the chance? He played in every single league and every single competition. I love this. Gaz has started the Steve Finnan fan club. Fernando Torres. Correct. All right. Very good. Um, I'll miss it. Look forward to it coming back for next preseason. The uh, the quiz um, certainly tests the limited brain cells that I have, but I suppose with the quiz going, it means that the Premier League is about to start and I'm way more excited about 22 men kicking a ball around the pitch on a Saturday afternoon than a podcast quiz on a Wednesday night. Well, the end of another podcast, definitely not as uh, boisterous as last week. Gaz has managed to... Uh, Keep it under wraps. Um, the season is upon us. Um, as we said earlier, Arsenal are playing Manchester City um, on Sunday for listeners in England um, and early hours of Monday morning over in Australia. I'll be up watching it. And fingers crossed Arsenal will put a marker down and win that trophy. That will be one more in the cabinet than Spurs have got. Um, boys, looking forward to kicking off. We really are there now. Um, have a good week and um, we'll speak to you guys soon. See you later.